Well, if you want to be turning this evening in your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Genesis, chapter 18. We're going to start out on Sunday night, coming back with a, with a Bible study. Um, we'll, we'll do a little bit of study tonight. Um, the other day, I was, I was at Home Depot picking up some stuff. We were working on Camp Hutch down here. And um, unusually enough, I didn't have on anything that said faith. I mean, y'all know if you see me around town, I always have on a He's Alive, a Judgment Journey, one of the Faith Church, something. Um, but I didn't that day. I just had on a regular shirt, and I walked in, so I'm not really sure how the lady recognized me. But she said, I bet y'all are glad Judgment Journey is over. I said, no, ma'am. To be honest, we're really not. Um, I, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you it's a lot of work. Um, but when you're seeing an average of 500 souls saved tonight every time you do it, we're not glad it's over. And she said, well, what do y'all do with your time now? <laughs> I laughed. I said, well, where do you want to start? Um, we're working on building the camp right now. Lady getting ready for ladies' Bible study starting back up Tuesday. We've got a ladies' campfire, bonfire, picnic, hayride going on Friday. We've got, um, they're building a volcano as big as the gym. I don't know how we're going to get in the gym, but they're building a volcano in the gym for Wednesday night. We've got our fall festival coming up a little bit late because all this going on. They're working down here on the Christmas float that will have the float and the parade this year. Um, I said, and I, I named two or three other things. I said, but getting bored around Faith Baptist Church isn't really one of our problems. And she said, well, sounds like y'all are busy. I said, I hope not. I hope not. She said, I said, I don't ever want us to be busy. I want us to be productive. If what we're doing is not for the glory of God, it's wasted motion. And if we ever do anything or put anything, if we're not seeing souls saved, if we're not seeing lives changed, if it's not making a difference, then let's don't waste the time doing it. Let, let's find something that exemplifies Jesus Christ and spreads the glory of the gospel. Amen? So judgment journey is over for another year. I mentioned to him on Wednesday night, and you can be praying as well. She flashed that number up the other day, 94,195. I, I, I want to see that number hit 100,000 next year. So we've already set a calendar. We're looking at going from nine nights to 11 nights. And even in 11 nights on the average, you can't get 100,000. We would have to add a 12th night by the numbers to try to make that realistic. So we'll probably go with 11 nights because I want to leave it to where it would take God doing something exceptional for us to make it. I don't want us to think we accomplished anything on our own. Amen. But I do want you to be in prayer. I know there's a lot between here and there. But we are looking at some dates. And the calendar is favorable to us to add another weekend. We've never gone that second weekend in November. But since Saturday is on the second, we're looking at going possibly into that second weekend. But what do we do from now to then? I know we got He's Alive. I know we got the Bible study. I know Tuesday night we got the men's prayer meeting. I know there's a lot of things going this week. But from now until then, it is our responsibility to tell a lost and dying world about Jesus Christ. I want us to look at that tonight as just kind of a reminder as we look at a kind of a Bible lesson, if you will. This is a little bit. It's not a Sunday school class form, but it's a little bit of teaching from the book of Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, we find Abraham bargaining with God. 
God is going to destroy a couple of cities. And Abraham is there on their behalf bargaining. You know the story. I'm going back and clear it. God, if they were peradventure, they were 50, would you save it? But in verse number 23 of chapter 18, Abraham says to God, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse number 25, and this is where we'll pull our text for this evening. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. That the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's what I want to look at for just a few minutes tonight is the last part of that passage. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Father God, I pray you take this text tonight. Lord, I pray you do your will, your way here at Faith Baptist Church. God, for each one of us that's here tonight, God, you've ordained this night. You knew it before the foundations of the world. You set each one of us in a place for a reason. I pray that on this night you would speak individually to every single soul as only you could do. May the Holy Spirit speak to the heart of every believer in this place. God, if there be any lost, we pray that tonight would be the night that a soul would be saved. But God, for those of us, your children, we ask you to speak to us tonight and teach us something that we might be a better servant. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, life got off to a really good start here on planet Earth. We look in the Bible and we see that, that they had everything. I mean, man, had it made, it couldn't have really been any better. They were in the Garden of Eden. It was never too hot. It was never too cold. It was never too windy. It was never too wet. It was never too dry. There was never any aches and pains. I heard amen. That, that one must have been nice, amen, that there was never any anxiety, there, there was never any worry, there wasn't any debt. Some places you just have to pause because you know somebody's going to amen that one. That, so, so, so there wasn't all these frustration. I mean, it was a perfect life. Had it stayed that way, we would have all had access to every tree of every fruit of the garden. We could have had everything that was there. God made all of it available. Except for one thing, I'm almost glad Adam messed it up before I got there so I wouldn't have been the one. Isn't it something how we think we always just have that one? Now, I'm going to stay away from that. That's not part of the message. Life was amazing there in the garden until the devil slithered his way up in there. And here's what he did. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Everything in Genesis, obviously, is the book of first. It talks about the first. And we get the first question. The devil slithers his way up, and he asks the first question. And the first thing that he does is he casts a shadow of doubt on the Word of God. He said this, hath God said. That's all it took. Three chapters into the Word of God, we hear about the devil for the first time. Three chapters from the end of the Word of God, we hear about the devil for the last time. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But every chapter in between, on every page, he's causing problems. Amen? Satan is still very much at work. And one of his greatest tools is still doubt. If he can get you to doubt anything, he has accomplished a lot. The plan was simple. Come into the garden Cast a shadow of doubt about what God said. He says, now, do you think God really meant that? You, you think that if you just take one bite of one little piece of fruit, 
that it would cause all of that. Is that what you're thinking? That's all it took. All he had to do was cast that little bit of shadow of doubt. Any doubt that that is God's perfect, pure, and holy word. Any doubt about the authority of God Almighty. Any doubt about the word of God is a S-I-N sin. You cannot doubt anything that God has to say. Once the devil has put any kind of doubt in our mind, then we have a choice to make. I used this illustration before, probably four or five months ago, but I like it, so I'm going to use it again. Our mind's kind of like a motel. You can't really control who comes through the lobby, but you can control who you give a room to. You can't really control the things that people say to you that, boom, just like that, it's in your mind. How many, how many times has somebody said something to you you wished you'd have never heard because you had to deal with it two or three or four days trying to shake it off? It drug you down. It hindered your spirit. It held back your faith. It caused you anxiety. It caused you problems. And you really wish they had just kept their mouth shut, to be perfectly honest with you. You decide whether to let them pass through your lobby or whether you give them a room to set up and stay in your place. It's not a sin when it passes through. It's not a sin until you allow it to settle down and get a room and begin to harbor and fester up and build something within you. Amen? All the devil has to do is cast an impure thought. If the devil ever gets any form of doubt in your mind, he's over halfway there to win in the battle. Once he gets his foot in the door, you see three things happen very quickly there in the garden. She saw, she took, she ate. That's all it took. All it took was a little bit of doubt. She saw it, and once she saw that it was pleasing to the eye, she began to doubt the word of God. She never should have been looking at it. And then she decides she's going to touch it. Once she touched it, if y'all remember, she changed the word of God. Even touch it lest we die. God never said that about touching it. Now she's touched it. So this little bit of doubt, this little bit of deception was all it took to get the wheels started falling off the wagon. Because of that, she not only ate it, but she became the first disciple of the devil. Hello. She gave it to her husband. The devil didn't give it to her husband. She gave it to her husband, and he did eat. That's all it took, because a sinful decision will always bring a sure defeat. We make choices. So God came into the garden. God questioned him about it, and now we know where we get it from. Everybody blames somebody else. We have that one down pat. We ain't changed a bit. Everything is always somebody else's fault. So he comes and starts questioning, and that, well, that's somebody else's fault. That's it. But, but even in spite of that, in spite of the doubt, in spite of the sin, in spite of the failure, in spite of the fact that they had just cast all of mankind into this turmoil that we're in, in spite of all that God knew they had done, in spite of everything that's there, in spite of the fact that they're lying to the face of God, trying to blame their problem on somebody else, yet God's grace intervened. Thank you. Thank you, God, for that same kind of grace, God's Grace intervened. Is God fair? Well, that's the question. Amen? That's what we're looking at here in this statement this evening. So, so God and his grace, Adam and Eve, they had taken the fig leaf and they had covered themselves, but the fig leaves wasn't enough. In order to cover sin, it was going to take some blood. So God sacrificed an innocent animal. 
And when he sacrificed the innocent animal for the now fallen man, as that animal breathed its last breath, that is the first to experience the deadly toll that sin takes. You can't play with sin and live. You can't play with sin and win. Amen? Bottom line, God placed man in this perfect paradise. Satan came by, and in just a brief minute, he cast the doubt, the, the sin of doubt, and then in just a brief matter of time, all of mankind fell. Mankind was at home with God. But now God had to cast them out of the garden. And ever since that day, mankind's been trying to find our way back home. Amen? The Bible is, is the record book of this heartbreaking story. So why did God cast out all of mankind? Because of the sins of this one man, why, why you and I, why are we cast out for what somebody else did more than 6,000 years ago? Is God righteous? Amen. Is God just? Amen. Is God right in all that he does? Is God fair in everything? The text says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I get asked a question with some frequency or some regularity. Who do you think is going to heaven? I don't think nothing. I know the answer to your question. Only the one who have trusted in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the ones who have confessed their sins. Only the ones who have believed upon the name of the Lord. I am the way. He makes it very simple. None other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't misinterpret the word of God. I know who's going to heaven. It's the one that has surrendered their heart and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ, had all their sins forgiven. They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and they'll spend all of eternity with God the Father because of Jesus Christ. I don't have to wonder who's going to heaven. But they still like to ask the question. Jesus is the payment for our sin. But here's the question. Here's the question they like to ask. What about the one in the jungle? What about the one in the remote regions there of the earth? What about the one that's never heard the gospel? They've never heard a clear presentation. They've never, they've never been offered a sinner's prayer. God will let them into heaven, won't he? What about those in places like China? They were raised in Buddhism. They, they were raised in a false religion. They, they were raised, they were brought up to believe something else. They were faithful to what they were taught. They, stuck, they never knew about Christ. They never knew about the Word of God. They never heard it. They simply believed what they were taught their whole life. They were faithful to their religion. Surely God would let them go, wouldn't he? What, what about the Jews, the other sheep, according to Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 10? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, that's obviously a rhetorical question because we know the answer before it's ever asked. Amen? So who's going to heaven? Well, in today's world, there's three basic thought processes. And I can tell you only one of them is correct, but I'm going to give you all three of them real quick. There are those who claim what's called inclusivism. They teach that all people are saved by general relation. And then when it's all said and done, no one will be left out. Everyone will go to heaven. That's not what the Word of God says. God wouldn't have bothered to mention a devil's hell if it didn't come into play. Then there's pluralism. Pluralism teaches that there's many ways to get to heaven. 
Oprah Winfrey lost all credibility as a human being on this planet in my world when she opened her lying mouth on national television. And she was asked, is there one way to get to heaven? She said, no, there's thousands of ways. There, there has to be. I don't know what book you're reading, but I do know this. Out of your thousands of ways, if the one of those thousands you're counting on it in the blood of the Lamb of God, you're going to hell and you're taking thousands of people with you because of your lying mouth on national television. I don't care what Oprah Winfrey or any other popular person has to say. I only care about what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, I, no, not some of them, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I don't care what Hollywood says. Pluralism includes any religion, any belief, anything that's out there today, all the religions around the world, as long as they are faithful to whatever religion, they say that we're all going to the same place. We're just taking different routes to get there. Not what the Word of God says. In the Word of God, that's what Faith Baptist Church and every other church like her that teaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is called exclusivism. That is faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. The truth is there's a lot about the Bible and even more about God that we do not know. But there's a whole lot that we do know. God gave us everything that we need to know. I want to look at two fatal flaws real quick here and then we'll go home those who hold out hope that those who never hear the gospel are going to heaven their belief is based number one on presumption those that claim that those who've never heard the gospel are going to heaven they believe that there's some special situation some special favoritism that they'll get and that'll get them to heaven by some different way but the same bible that tells me that god is a god of love also tells me that God is the God of justice and that God will punish sin. If they do not believe he's a God of justice, they've never read even the first half of the first book of the Bible. They've never spent any time at all reading God's word right out of the gate. We get past chapter 3 into chapter 4. God judged Cain for killing his brother Abel. You, you get into chapter 7 and God judged all the entire world there at the flood of Noah. When we get to chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel, God judged man's arrogance for thinking he could build a tower all the way up to the kingdom of God. In chapter 19, the story that we're looking at here, God judged two cities in spite of the fact that Abraham went to bat for them and tried to, to plead for them and say, hey, there's 50, there's 40, and he got all the way down to 10 thinking, surely, surely that Lot, come on, dads, pay attention here, thinking that surely Lot had his own house in order. And if Lot had his own house in order, just the people living under his roof, God would have spared both cities because he made a deal with God that if there's at least these 10 here, Lot hadn't even spared his own house. Lot ain't even took care of his own family. He ain't took care of business under his own roof. And because of that, God made a deal, but God knew there wasn't that many people there. We have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ. And in spite of Abraham's bargaining, we find judgment brought on these two cities and they're destroyed. God's judgment is always true. God's judgment is always righteous. So, is it fair if someone lives in a remote region of the jungle in a foreign land? No missionary has ever been there. If he went there, they would eat him. Those places are still out there. No missionary has been there. 
They've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it fair, according to the way we preach it, they never hear a plan of salvation. Is it fair that they don't get to go to heaven? Well, here's the simple facts. If it were true that men and women could go to heaven simply by not hearing the gospel, they could go to heaven simply because they had never been offered the plan of salvation, then you and I as Christians need to change gears, and we need to get busy. We need, number one, to lock the doors of every church building permanently. Number two, we need to get rid of every teacher, every preacher, every pastor. We need to shut their mouths and get rid of them. We need to call every missionary in out of the field. We need to tell them, get home, close your mouth. And we need to find every copy of the holy written word of God we can find, and we need to burn it. Because then in just a matter of a few years, nobody will have heard the name of Jesus. And everybody would go to heaven. But what would we do with something like the book of Romans? What would we do with the entire word of God? What would we do with Romans 10, 14? How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? How shall they believe in him who they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The problem is not that... that, that Let me just go what the problem is. The problem is us. The problem is that according to Matthew, the last words that Jesus spoke before the ascension in chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, as he said, Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always. If there's people out there that's not heard, then we're not doing a good enough job of spreading it. Just killed the spirit of everything up in on Sunday night. Got so quiet, not even amen in the house. According to the word of God, there's only two times when the entire planet, oh me. <laughs> when, yeah, I'm with you. There's two times in the entire world, according to God's word, that the entire planet knew God's plan of redemption. One of them was at Adam and Eve when he put them out. God showed them the redemption plan, he put them out. The other one would have been right after the flood. When God told Noah, he had him, his wife, his three sons, his three daughters-in-law, and all eight people knew about it. That is the only time along the way since that day we as Christians have failed to take the gospel around that planet, according to the word of God. But then there's another fatal flaw in the beliefs of men, and that is the flaw of assumption. The United States of America, and I'm thankful for this one, but a man is innocent until proven guilty. But they take that assumption in God's law and assume that we're all innocent. And therefore, we'd go to heaven. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not what God's word says. So what about that person who is out there in the jungle? Do I believe that an innocent person who never accepted Christ would die and go to hell? Yes, I absolutely, I absolutely do. Here's the problem. That person doesn't exist. There's no such thing as an innocent person unless you're innocent through the blood of the Lamb of God. There's no such thing as an innocent person. Romans 3.10, Paul says that there is none righteous. No, not one. Matter of fact, he said, as it is written, and I assume he's referring to Psalms 14.3, that says they're all going aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We're not condemned because we rejected Christ. We were condemned already. 
Before we ever had a chance to accept or deny Christ, we were already condemned because we were already sinners. We were born with this sin nature. My, my dad and my mom had to teach me a lot of stuff. And, and they, they did. They taught me, and with the help of my sisters, because they didn't sometimes thought that my mom and dad needed help, so they pushed me along. They, they had to teach me a lot of stuff. But one thing they never had to teach me was how to be bad. I had that one down to a science all by myself. I, I didn't need any help in the classroom with that one. I didn't need any help out. I, I had that one all figured out. Even today, I, I still battle in knowing what is right. And even as the Apostle Paul said, and still doing what is wrong. The battle, the war within the flesh, the war that goes on inside. Why would God have allowed his only begotten son to die for the likes of me? Love. Love is the ultimate primary motive. But at the same time, it was God demonstrating his justice. Sin cannot, sin will not. Go unpunished. God placed all of his sins on Jesus. He poured out his wrath. He poured out his justice on his own son. Jesus died so that you and I might live his life. Jesus took on our sin so that we might take on his righteousness. It is our response to this justice that determines our destiny for all of eternity. Amen? Shall not... The judge of all the earth do right? The answer is absolutely yes. He sure will. Anybody ever seen anything going on you questioned? Oh, we ain't got to be all holy and all that. Anybody ever wonder why God would have done that? Anybody ever wonder, God, why would you allow such a thing? That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I know so much, you know, right? Anybody ever, ever questioned God's motive, anybody ever asked the question in one of those motives, God, where are you at in all of this? I don't, I don't understand the situation. I don't know what's going on. Just because some things may not look right to us, God sees the heart of the man. God also knows the future. And God may just be doing something just like he did with Job, even though Job hadn't done anything wrong. Job had to endure some stuff that made him stronger. God knows what's coming in your life. God knows what's coming in my life. And he knows what we need now in order to prepare us for where we're going then. So whatever is going on in our life is for our good. And it's for God's glory. There is a plan. I believe there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that we didn't expect to see there. I believe there's going to be a lot of people that's not there that we thought were going to make it. God sees the heart of the man. But one thing that we can rest assured of is that when it's all said and done, the judge of the earth will do right. The judge of the earth will do what is right. He is righteous. And those who die, those who never hear the gospel, how much of that blood will be on our hands? That's another one of those old me's. We can go ahead and throw that one out there. In our Jerusalem, in, in our Judea, LaGrange and Troop County, spread out Meriwether, Heard, Harris, it is our responsibility to tell them about Jesus right. every day. Not play dead, 
not be a soldier, not a conversion tent, not a guide. It is our job every day. Tomorrow morning when we get up, we will have the entire contents of the day tomorrow. It is our job to tell them about Jesus. It is our job to tell them about Calvary's cross. It is our job to tell them that there is a way. And, and whether they like it or not, our job remains to tell them you are a sinner. Sinners die and go to hell without the blood of Jesus. It is also our job to go into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. You got two options right here tonight. and You can go home and pray about which one it is. You either need to pack your bags or write your check. You either need to go or you need to support some of those who went. Those guys are there in our stead on our behalf. If we're not supporting them, then we're not sending them to the uttermost parts of the earth. So if you're not writing a check over there and you don't have your bags packed, I would go home and do some soul searching tonight. Find out, Lord, am I supposed to be going or do I just need to write a check? Quieting things off so much on a Sunday night. The judge of the earth will do right. You and I will be held accountable for the things we do. For the things that we don't do. To whom much is given. Much is required. Ezekiel chapter 33. Again the word of the Lord came unto me saying. Son of man. Speak to the children of thy people and say unto them. When I bring the sword upon the land. If the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman. If he seeth the sword come upon the land. He blow the trumpet and warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning. If the sword come and take him away. His blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet. He took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman. See the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned. If the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth, and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O son of man, Speak unto the house of Israel. Thus she speaks, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, we pine away in them. How should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in death of the wicked. Y'all hear what God said? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's the same thing as I sent mine only begotten son to pay their sin debt. I paid their price. My son purchased their soul at Calvary's cross because I love them. And I have no pleasure in sending them to hell. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away from his, eat from his way and live. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? We are the watchmen. 
We have been set on a hill at 552 Hammett Road, and we are a watchman. It is our responsibility to tell them about Christ. There's a reckoning day coming. Amen? I'll tell you what I want us to do tonight. It's our first Sunday night back in a few weeks. I want us to gather in this altar. I want us to pray for Faith Baptist Church. I don't want to pray for Judgment Journey. He's alive coming up. I don't want to pray for the Easter play. I don't want to pray for the parade. I don't want to pray for the Bible study. I want to pray for Faith Baptist Church. Y'all go ahead and get up. I'm asking all of you to come pray. God, will you help us to be the watchman? God, will you help us to be a light on a hill? Will you help us to tell a lost and dying world? We've prayed and we prayed. God, will you help us, God, reach our Jerusalem? We've asked God over and over for a couple of years. God, will you deliver Troop County? Will you deliver LaGrange, Georgia to us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? God, will you deliver LaGrange? Help us, God, to be the lighthouse that you've called us to be. Lord, we've even prayed. Will you help us that there be not one in Troop County, Georgia, that dies and goes to hell, that does not hear the gospel. What they do with the gospel, we cannot control. But whether or not they hear the gospel is strictly up to you and I. I believe everybody that dies within a reasonable distance of, of this place, if they've not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, then Faith Baptist Church, we did not do our job. It takes more than judgment journey. It takes more than Friday and Saturday night. It takes a sold-out life to Christ. It takes giving everything we've got to God. It takes telling our friends and our co-workers and our family and our neighbors that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. It takes us to tell them. We may not can stop them from going to hell. That's their choice. But we can tell them the truth. I want us to be a fountain of living waters. I want Faith Baptist Church to be a living, breathing, walking testimony of the power of God. And that's us. Faith Baptist Church is you and I. It's us as individuals. This church will never be any more powerful than Jesus Christ working through you and working through me. It's what we do in our day-to-day lives. We need to pray earnestly. We've been studying on Sunday mornings for five weeks how to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We praise his name. We ask him that his will be done. Remember part two of that prayer is thy will be done on earth in me, in my life, in my community, in everything I do. That is the second part of the prayer. God, your perfect will be done in me on this earth the same way that the angels of heaven do it. That's our prayer. If that's going to be our prayer, then we need to put that into practice tonight. God, help me. Help me, God, to be what you'd have me to be. Use us, God.